You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Hey, my name is Matt Gonzalez. For those of you who may not know me, I'm our director of strategy and community here. And it is great to have you all with us, to see some friends and some faces we haven't seen in a while. So good to have you here with us. A few announcements before I read the word. I want to remind you all that we are launching out Sojourn Church on the other side of the new year, which is so exciting. So this is actually our last Christmas that we'll be celebrating with them before they are a church of their own. And so that's, can we give a round of applause for our Sojourn crew? throughout the room. We love you, and we are so excited for what God's going to do through Sojourn. Also, wanted to extend an official invitation again to everyone tonight to our evening Christmas Eve services. We've got one at 3.30 p.m. that will have child care for nursery through walkers, and another at 5 p.m. that will have no child care provided. Regardless of child care, those are great opportunities to have your whole family here celebrating with us as a church family as we celebrate the coming of King Jesus. So we'd invite you to be here with us. Now, friends, our scripture this morning is going to be from Luke chapter 2. You can find that on page 805 in the chairback Bible in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible, please take that as an extra special Christmas gift from us to you. We would love for you to have your own copy of the word of the Lord. It's from Luke 2, friends. Hear the living word of the Lord. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there... The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Friends, this is the word of the Lord, and it is true. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of the gospel, for the gift of Jesus Christ, our Savior who came as a baby. God, would we never forget to marvel at the majesty of who you are. Um, God, at the beauty of what you did at Christmas in sending Jesus, God in human form. God, as Pastor David comes up to preach, would you move in our hearts? Spirit, would you soften us? Would you open our ears to hear what you have to teach us from your word? And God, I do pray for those in the room who may not know Jesus, who may not have placed their faith in this Savior, this King. God, would you save? Spirit, would you move in them? Would you save? And we pray that they would believe in Jesus. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yeah, please have a seat. Thank you, friends. It's a delight to be here with you this morning. Uh, Pastor Jeremy and his family got some long-needed time away with family in another state down south, and so it's great to be able to be here with you uh, this morning to open up God's Word together. I want to begin with a comment and a confession. The first comment is, uh, I'm so glad there's kids in this room. That, that's really my comment. I'm so glad that, you, that the youngins are here with us in this room together this morning. You may be looking around thinking, it's kind of noisy, and I can't exactly hear as well as I want to, or they're get. 
I love them being here. So if you ever feel like there's a judgment going on, like just wave at me and point to the person who is giving you judgy eyes. I'll, I'll make eye contact with them and we'll do the little thing, you know, non-verbally and they'll be great. So I love there's kids in here. Kids, uh, I'm so glad that you are in here. Uh, this is a delight to be able to have all of you in here. Kids of all ages, uh, it doesn't matter if you're in your 70s, 80s or if you're seven or eight, we love having you in here, kids. And so what a delight it is to do that. That's the comment. The confession is, is that uh, I'm kind of surprised by the level of anxiety I have coming in to preach here on Christmas Eve morning during this season. Uh, I've been thinking about this for a few weeks and, and got asked to do this a while back. It's like, okay, that'd be fun. That'd be great. And as the time gets closer and closer, I feel more anxious and more anxious. Like, oh, this is Christmas Eve. This is the Christmas season. You don't want to mess up Christmas. Like for Christmas, for Christians, this is one of the two biggies, right? You got Easter, which is really, really important. You don't want to mess up Easter, but you don't want to mess up Christmas either, right? You don't want that to be a thing that's like, oh, now I'm not a Christian because I, Pastor Dave gets a horrible message. Because that's the kind of weird anxiety thoughts I've, I've had in there. You know, you bring your friends, you've shown up, you've dressed up, you've got family here with you, you've... You've encouraged them. Some of them have been dragged here, but you've, you're all here sitting together for Christmas Eve service. And here comes the best sermon of your entire life. <laughs> or not, but that's perfectly fine. But, but really what I'm struggling with is that at Christmas time, we, we have, uh, while there's 400 different prophecies and foretellings of Jesus and the arrival of Christ and this Messiah on earth, there's 400 of those in the Bible. There's only two places in the Bible where we actually have the Christmas story, in the opening chapters of Matthew and in Luke. And so if, if you've been in church before around Christmas time, you've probably had someone stand up and open the Bible to Matthew or Luke and tell you the story about Christmas. Uh, now, if this is your first Christmas ever here in a church and opening the Bible and hearing about this story of Jesus, well, I'm super excited you're here this morning. This is great. This will all be brand new to you. All of this will be the most foundational, beautiful thing you've ever heard. But for others of us, if you've been sitting in church for a while, you're like, yeah, I kind of know the story. You know, I've, I've heard it. I've been around the block a few times. You know, Pastor Dave, you know, I've, I've been a Christian for a while. I, you know, I, I used to be in a pageant or two growing up. Like, I, I know Mary and Joseph. I know shepherds. I, I know the annoying little drummer boy that we just sang about. I, I know all these things about Christmas. Try to wow me this morning. Try to give me something new. I, I'm looking for something brand new I've never thought about before at Christmas. Well, I've got some, some bad news for you. That's not why we gather on Sunday mornings. We don't gather to try to find something new and, and the shiniest and this amazing, like no one has ever thought about this before. If any preacher stands up in front of you and says, I opened the Bible and I found something that nobody else ever found, you probably should run away. Because what God's word is, is eternal. It's unchanging. It has always been and it will always be. And it's in this struggle that I have of like trying to keep your attention and keep the kids' attention here this morning realizing that, that the reason that we gather Sunday mornings, and especially this Sunday morning, is to remind ourselves to remember the things that we know to be true as Christians. For those who say, I'm a follower of Christ, I am, I am a Christ follower. This story about Jesus, that's my story. We come here together this morning to remember and to retell and to remind because we easily forget. 
We easily forget not just the, the minutia, the small points, but we forget the impact that the story has for us. In this story of Christ becoming a baby, being born in a manger, we have the most foundational truths upon which the Christian faith is built. At the end of the day, Christmas and Christmas time and this Christmas sermon will not be about complexity, but about simplicity. You're welcome. Not about something profound, but about something made plain. Just like the Bible has always been saying, we want to remind ourselves of the story of Jesus together this morning. At Christmas, the eternal God decides it's the exact right time to make himself known and step into our history, our story, in the most beautiful and amazing way possible through a child born in a manger. And so if you haven't already, I would invite you to turn to Luke chapter two. We'll be looking at the first seven verses, what Matt read for us a few minutes ago. And we're gonna consider three truths about Jesus this Christmas. Three truths. The first is this, that in Jesus, we have a savior who is in control. In control. What I appreciate about Luke's account here in the Gospel of Luke is that he gives us certain verifiable circumstances. He, he begins with some facts. So he says, this is what we can know to be true. We can build upon what we know to be true. And he says, these are actual human historical facts. All of them leading up to the birth of Jesus, orchestrated and planned by God to make sure that Jesus would be born at the exact right time the exact right place. And so we see this in chapter two, beginning with verse one, that in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. We're told that Caesar Augustus, he's kind of the ruler of the day, the, the big wig, he made a law for the entire Roman empire to go back to their forefathers, a town to their the place of birth and register and pay some taxes. And, and I want to, before we go any further here, I want to state the obvious. Uh, yes, this morning we are talking about and thinking about the Roman Empire. So you have permission to think about the Roman Empire today, guys. And if you, if you haven't thought about it, here's your chance. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, please grab a teenager or a, a young adult and have them ask, or ask them, what's the Roman Empire about? And they'll tell you with a big old grin on their face. Uh, but this morning, we're talking about the Roman Empire and what's going on in this large region where Caesar Augustus is in charge. And there's these under governors who are kind of following the decree and who are doing what the big boss says. And this taxation required everyone Jews and non-Jews to go back to their towns. And I can just imagine how disruptive that would have been. I mean, you're, you're basically told, okay, every single one of us, you can't stay where you are, you gotta go. Go back to where your grandfather and his grandfather and their grandfather and their grandfather were, were there from. And so for Christmas, instead of gathering here at your place, you'd be packing up the, the family roadster. You might be traveling to another city in Kansas. You might be traveling to another state, another coast. You might be hopping on a plane and flying to another continent and country altogether. You're, you're going back to where you're supposed to be so you can pay taxes. Merry Christmas. That sounds lovely. But that's what's happening here in this story as it's opening up, is that they are going to pay taxes and to be counted so that the... the Entire region and nation and empire can say, this is how many people and how much money we have. 
And Luke is, is grounding us in this event of paying taxes and registration to let us know that, that these are some verifiable things. These things really happen. This, this registration, this decree really did take place. There's not made up myths, half facts, or just kind of good philosophical ideas. This might have happened. No, this is actually true, that this happened at a time and a place. And the story, while it starts with Caesar Augustus being in charge, we have to really understand, though, what's happening here is that Caesar's not the guy in charge. Caesar's not the one who's calling all the shots. He's, he's causing some disruption and making this decree and telling people to go to do these registration, but he's not the one who is at the top of the food chain. That's God. God sits in this place of, of being sovereign or this big Bible word of being in control. God is sovereign over every circumstance in human history, including this moment right here. It's God who allows Caesar Augustus to make this decree. It's God who says, yeah, this is the right time for people to be registered and to go back to their own town because this is when I'm sending my son. This is when I'm doing what I'm doing, says God. So Caesar, you can do what you need to do. You can make your decrees. You can do your little stuff down there. That's, that's great. I'm going to use that to do what I'm doing in the course of human history. Caesar and Quirinius, they're not really in charge. Although the focus here, these first few verses, the real king, the real ruler is about to be introduced in just a couple of lines, a couple of sentences. The one who's going to be born in a stable. He is the Lord of all nations, empires, and rulers. And even Caesar serves his agenda and accomplishes his purposes. It's Jesus who's controlled the timing and the events of this story. And for those who would believe that it's not Caesar who's in charge, but it's actually God who's in charge, this is a moment of comfort and hope for us as we begin our passage. It should be, right? Because we've just come through 2023. We just made it. Congratulations. We're almost there. And I don't know what your past year has been, but mine's been a lot of changes, a lot of things I didn't expect. A lot of stuff has happened. And I look forward to 2024 thinking, I have no idea what's about to take place. Another election cycle, whoopee. We've got things happening next year that are gonna be amazingly difficult, things that we don't even know. And yet, God says, it's okay. I've got this. I'm in control. I'm in control of rulers, empires, history, your circumstances, the things that you don't know that are coming, I know they're coming and I've got this. Trust me. At the end of the day, not any one of us gets to decide if our life is under the control and care of God. We don't, we don't get to opt out and say, God, you, you have no control of my life. You can be over somebody else's, but you're not in control of me. God is in control, whether you acknowledge it or not. You can lean into that and say, okay, God, I trust you. I'm going to trust you. Or you can slam your foot down and say, No. I'm in charge of my life, but yet God's still in charge. God is still doing what God is gonna do, accomplishing his plans and purposes on this earth. The story of life is not about us, but about him. 
He is in control. He is the Savior who's in control. That is the first truth that does not change, that has never changed, that is true this Christmas season. And here's our second truth. The second truth is this, that we have in Jesus a Savior who is promised. We have a God who keeps his promises and sends a Savior who is promised. We see this in verses 4 and 5. We're told that Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So Luke moves from Caesar and Quirinius and now turns attention to Mary and Joseph, this family, this little peasant family. They have to leave their home in Nazareth, and they travel to Bethlehem to register and pay their taxes. It's about a 90-mile distance that they had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's kind of like leaving here and going down to Emporia. It's about that kind of a distance. 90 miles takes about four to seven days walking, kind of most people would say. And if you're pregnant, like Mary was, it might take a lot longer than that, unless you're a jerk. Joseph. Let her take her time, rest a little bit. That's fine. That's why most people assume that she was riding on a donkey, like even the Jesus Storybook Bible that we saw a little bit ago. It's got Mary on the donkey, right? We're not told Mary's on a donkey in the Bible, but it makes sense, right? Joseph's a nice guy. He's a kind guy. But some people have even wondered why Mary was even on the trip. Why did she even go down? Because it was Joseph who was supposed to go register. It was Joseph who had to go back to his place, to his forefather's town. She didn't have to go. Now, maybe they just wanted to be together because she was about to have a baby. That makes perfect sense. You know, you want to hang out together and be like, well, we're doing this thing to get you. You're not leaving me here, Joseph. No, I can imagine that conversation being very testy. If you'd have said, you stay here, I'm going to go. He's like, no, we're going together. Maybe she didn't want to be left alone in a a town where people despised her because of her scandalous pregnancy. Even more than that, though, I, I truly believe that the reason that Joseph went with Mary and why Mary went with Joseph is because that's what God had always planned. That was always God's promise for Mary to go with Joseph. And here's what I mean by that. In the Old Testament book of Micah, if you kind of flip back a few pages, you can find the Old Testament book of Micah. It's one of those little guys back in there in the Old Testament that you kind of skip over to get to the good stuff. But Micah is this prophetic book 700 years before Mary and Joseph, 700 years earlier. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, we're told that a Savior would not be born in in Nazareth, but in Bethlehem. But the Savior, according to Micah 5.2, says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathath, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. And this is just one of the 400 promises God made, saying, I promise I'm sending Jesus. I promise you, I'm sending him. And I'm sending him at this time, at this place, and he's gonna be born in this city. I am making promises, says God, and I will keep my promises. If Mary had given birth to Jesus anywhere else, 
in any other town other than Bethlehem, well, then Jesus wouldn't have been the one that all those 400 promises were made about. He couldn't be who God had promised 700 years earlier in Micah's prophecy, who would be the ruler that the people so desperately needed. If Mary's water broke in Nazareth or anywhere along that 90-mile trip in between, then the Christmas story as we know it does not exist because God's promise would have been broken. And that's why the timing is so important of this. At the right time, Caesar had to make this decree and Joseph had to go to his hometown and Joseph had to go to Bethlehem with Mary right before she was going to give birth because they end up giving birth exactly where the Savior was promised to be born. I asked our mathematicians in the the church during the earlier service the, the probability of this happening, of a 700 year period of time where someone is said to be born in a certain city and that person would have all these other prophecies and promises be made about, made about them. And I go, what's, what's the number? And he came up and said, well, it's zero. The mathematical probability is zero. And that's what makes this a miracle. Because every one of those promises, those prophecies made about Jesus came true. Every one of them happened just as God said it would happen. Imagine 700 years ago, you're in Europe. The year is 1323 in the early 14th century, and the Black Plague is just about to happen. This is a long time ago. And someone has a message from God saying, I think there's going to be an important child born in Shawnee, Kansas in the year 2023. Not in Overland Park, not in Olathe, not in Topeka, not even in Hayes where I was born. But this child is important. is going to be born in Shawnee. 2023. Oh, it's a miracle that that would happen. That this important child, that this promised child would actually show up in this city in the right place in the right time. See, God has been doing miracles and keeping his promises all throughout the Bible. And he continues to keep his promises today because anybody Anybody can see. All these prophecies are pointing towards something. They're pointing to Jesus. And kids, I, I, want, I want you to especially listen here. I, mean, I, I, I know that kids are doing great. Kids are doing great. Adults are doing great too. Kids are doing even better than you right now because they're like, they're tracking. I see this. You're doing great, Abe. Like these, these are the important things I want us to make, make sure that we get. Because the, the, the truth here is very simple, is that God keeps his promises. God keeps his big promises, and God keeps his little promises. God keeps all of his promises. And I know your friends or your family, they, they might break their promise, and that, that hurts. But God never breaks his promises. All throughout the Bible, God has been saying, I will do this. And he's doing it. All throughout the Bible, a Savior was always promised. And when Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem, that's when God said, see, I'm keeping that promise too. Because God is faithful, friends. We can trust him. We can trust that God knows the way even when we don't see it. He knows the way 
When life is dark, when it's sad, when sin seems to be creeping in and pressing in, God knows the way. And God keeps his promises. When we ask, can I really trust you, Lord? This is hard. I don't know what to do. God's response is, of course you can. I have never broken a promise, and I will keep every promise I have ever made. And friends, God has kept his promises to us. And here at Christmas, we remember this very simple truth that God sent us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the Savior who's in control. He is the Savior who keeps his promises. And there's this third big truth I want us to remember here this morning is that we also have a Savior who is humble. A humble Savior who came to us at Christmas. Look there at verses 6 and 7. We're told this, that while Mary and Joseph were there in Bethlehem, a time came for her to give birth. And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Two simple sentences that are beautiful, that change everything. And while miraculous circumstances preceded the arrival of Christ, and incredible scenes are going to follow in the chapters to come in Jesus' life. The mundane facts of the birth itself are shared in one magnificently plain sentence. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger. Not a lot of glitz and glam here with that, right? It's just very simple and straightforward. We don't know how long Mary and Joseph were there in Bethlehem for the registration, but because they went home, they were probably staying with family or friends, even extended friends or family. With Mary being really pregnant, I'm sure she was always on the lookout for like, where can I give birth to this baby? Where is this going to happen? Even taking a few moments to kind of clean up even a little bit in the stable where they found themselves. And it doesn't exactly scream sanitary or clean, if you really think about it for just a moment. They didn't have a nicely furnished room on the third floor of a west-facing maternity wing of a brand new hospital building where they're like, yes, here's where we will give birth and here's where the lobster shows up afterwards. It wasn't like that at all. They didn't receive the, the red carpet treatment from their host. It would have been very simple. Probably a little smelly, maybe a little bit dirty. But from what we read here in the Bible, a very ordinary birth. And Christmas is a time to remember and retell these plain truths, to remember them again because we so easily forget them. That the Lord of life, the eternal word, the second person of the Trinity became a baby of flesh and blood. The great long-promised king began his rule in a stable, a feeding trough for his throne. He didn't come to save us from a distance, but he humbly came as close as possible and arrived in a way that we can understand. We get this, right? A, a baby being born. We, we see this. There's kids in the room. You, you know babies are born. It happens. People show up in the world, and you're like, what do I do with this little thing? Well, you take care of it, and you feed it, and you change it and you raise it. When it screams, you give it a passy. 
That's how Jesus showed up. Simple, humble, no fanfare, no palace. It wasn't elephants trumpeting his arrival. It was an evening, very quiet, very normal, very humble. Maybe you're wondering, why, why didn't God do that? Why didn't God make a way? If God knew and God made Caesar do that decree at that exact moment, if, if God knew they were going to be there, why didn't God have a, a really nice place for baby Jesus to be born, at least a, a crib, something normal besides a manger? Well, friends, it's because the manger was not outside God's plan and control but it was right in the heart of what God was doing. He was sending his son to be the humble servant to the one who would lay down his life for us. Because this child born in great humility was beginning a life in ministry that was not gonna stay in the stable, but would years later walk confidently and boldly and lovingly toward a hill and a cross for you and for me. The Savior who was in control, who was promised and humble, would offer his life in exchange for yours and mine. This cross is where Jesus would, would take upon himself the sin of this world and fully pay what you and I could not and do what we could never do. And this story of Jesus that we're reading here in Luke chapter 2 doesn't just begin here, but it's part of a larger narrative, a larger understanding of who God is and what Jesus has always been doing. I'm so thankful for places like Philippians chapter 2, which give us a, a little step back, a little broader view of what God actually is doing. Not just, not just a baby born in cloths in a manger, but in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 6, we're told that though Jesus was in the form of God. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He, Jesus, humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. This baby who was born in a manger didn't stay there. He didn't come from the manger, but that's where his earthly story began. But it continues, and he invites us to be part of his story. For those who, who haven't yet believed the story that Jesus came to earth as a baby, here's what I would ask you and encourage you even this morning before you leave this place today to consider. So this morning we've, we've considered some truths that the Bible says this is what is true. It has always been true. It is true. It will always be true. These truths don't wear out like the toys and trinkets that we ask for and get at Christmas. The excitement of new stuff that's under the tree is temporary and it wears off kind of quickly, unfortunately. But these truths do not wear out. These simple reminders of what is true about Jesus and about us never change. These are eternal truths. 
So this morning, we're invited to, to bow our knee willingly and confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when everything goes crazy, when everything goes awry, when your, your family doesn't act the way that you want them to, or when 2024 ends up being 2024, like we kind of expect it to be, and people don't behave as you want them to when it feels like so much is missing life, you know what we do have? We have three foundational truths. That we have a God who is in control and a Savior who is fully in control. We have a Savior who has kept his promises. We have a God who has always kept his promises and will keep his promises. And we have a Savior who is not distant, who's not far away, but has humbled himself and come near to us, knows us in our weakness, knows us in our humanity, and understands us. Friends, would you trust and believe in Jesus, these simple truths about him, this humble, promised Savior who's in control of our lives, and rest in the hope of these never-changing truths? Would you pray with me, please? Christ, we do ask this morning that you would remind us of what we forget. We are people who who get distracted by a lot of other things and a lot of other plans. Even right now we're thinking, what am I doing next? What am I going to next? Where am I heading to next? What's next on the agenda? Christ, I, I pray that right now in the moment that we have here, that you would allow our, our hearts and our minds to believe what is true, that you are who the Bible says you are, that you have never changed. And may we believe, trust, and rejoice in the hope that we have in you, Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.